Thanks for joining us on the Jambase podcast, proud partner of the Osiris Media Network. I'm Scott Bernstein, and on this episode, we'll hear my interview with guitarist Scott Metzger. Scott recently released his debut solo album, The Fantastic Too Close to Reason by a Royal Potato Family. Metzger and I talked about Too Close to Reason and many other topics, including Joe Russo's Almost Dead, his wife, Katie Jacoby, and a run of solo concerts he'll embark on soon. Stay tuned for the interview with Scott Metzger, but first, a word from this episode's sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Delfest. The 14th annual Delfest, the beloved genre-spanning festival brainchild of McCurry Music and High Sierra Music, is pleased to announce that after a two-year hiatus due to COVID-19, the music of Del McCurry and Friends returns to beautiful Cumberland, Maryland from May 26th to the 29th. Festival hosts the Del McCurry Band and the Traveling McCurries are joined on the Delfest 2022 lineup by Railroad Earth, Fatal Flex My Bluegrass Heart, Sam Bush, Tyler Childers, Robert Earl Keane, Leftover Sim, the Jerry Douglas Band, Watch House, California Honey Drops, Sierra Hull, Anders Osborne and Jackie Green, Cabinet, The Little Smokies, and many more. And along with traditional stage sets by these world-class artists, attendees can again expect to see one-of-a-kind collaborations, special guest sit-ins, various tributes to Del McCurry and his musical legacy, and intimate appearances from the aforementioned artists. And don't miss the separately ticketed Delfest late-night performances as well. Located along the Potomac River in the scenic Appalachian Mountains, and personally chosen by Del, the Allegheny County Fairgrounds in Cumberland, Maryland serves as the ideal location for Delfest. Fairgrounds are conveniently located near four major airports and can be easily reached by rail or road. For information including camping, parking, partners, and more, please visit delfest.com and follow Delfest on all social platforms. Spend Memorial Day weekend with the Del McCurry Band at Delfest 2022. Grab your tickets today. Jambase's March Madness Live Covers Tournament has reached round three. The fan-voted competition is down to the Elite Eight of covers battling to be crowned this year's champion. Following last year's format, round one was head-to-head covers of the same song. The top vote-getter for each head-to-head competition went on to round two to battle against a different song. Round three again pits different songs against each other to see who will reach the final four. The Elite Eight matchups are Fishes If Six Was Nine versus My Morning Jacket's Oh Sweet Nothing, Widespread Panic's Hallelujah versus Tedeschi Trucks Band's River, Billy and the Kids with Billy Strings and James Casey's Tangled Up in Blue versus Moe's In Memory of Elizabeth Reed, and Goose's Mississippi Half-Step versus Umphreys McGee with Kanika Moore's Satisfaction. Head to jambase.com and be sure to get your votes in for round three by 11.59 p.m. Pacific on Sunday night. We've left it completely up to you. Vote for your favorite band, your favorite song, the arrangement you like best, the cover that best utilizes a special guest, or however you think the winner should be determined. Tour announcements continue to file in at a furious pace, and I'm so excited for the upcoming months. Pearl Jam finally rescheduled a North American tour that was originally supposed to take place in 2020 and was among the first major tours postponed due to the pandemic. The Seattle Rockers will play throughout the continent in May and September. Old pals Humphreys McGee and the Disco Biscuits will join forces for eight co-headlining concerts this summer. The 2022 Dumb Tour features four shows apiece in June and August. The Rolling Stones get back on this road this summer for a trek through Europe, while Steely Dan tacked on seven new dates to an already extensive summer tour. 
Ween, Mahali, Great Blue, Phil Lesh and Friends, Jackson Brown, and the String Cheese Incident are among other acts who announced tour dates since our last episode. Be sure to head to jambase.com for full details, and don't forget to track your favorite artists, whether it's on the website or with our amazing iOS app. Joe Russo is almost dead, also added tour dates in Saratoga Springs, New York, and Boston to their summer plans. Scott Metzger is, of course, a member of the band, and we started our conversation by talking about how J-Rad has dealt with the early days of the pandemic. The guitarist makes his return to the Jam Bass podcast on this episode, as he told tour stories all the way back in 2018 during the ninth installment of our show. This time around, Metzger recalled a conference call J-Rad held once the pandemic started, which was the first such call in the band's history. Oh, to be a fly on the wall for that. Scott then discussed the, the shows that J-Rad played at the Westville Music Bowl in New Haven, Connecticut during the heart of the pandemic, and how the group then and now continues to take every precaution to pull off shows. Metzger also shared his impressions of the new Brooklyn Bowl outpost in Philadelphia, where J-Rad recently played. We then got into the excellent album, Too Close to Reason, which was 100% a pandemic album. Metzger talked about how he used the opportunity for the time off the road afforded him to finally write and record a solo album. Scott bought a guitar shortly after the pandemic began, and he explains how the compositions he wrote came to him fairly quickly. The guitarist also weighed in on the recording process, his recent wedding, congrats Katie and Scott, and how he came up with some of the titles for the 12 instrumentals featured on Too Close to Reason. Metzger brings Too Close to Reason on the road this spring for shows across the Northeast. The Brooklyn resident revealed what fans can expect and how he'll bring these dense instrumentals to the stage. Here's my interview with Scott Metzger, which we'll get into with a taste of my favorite Too Close to Reason track, Waltz for Beverly. I'm pleased to welcome Scott Metzger back to the Jam Bass Podcast for the first time since 2018, when you shared some tour stories with us, um, including a tale of running out of gas. I believe it was on the way to Lockin, uh, the, the Lockin Festival. How's it going, Scott? Great, Scott. It's good to see you again. Thanks for having me. Excellent. I'm glad to have you back. And, uh, you know, you may... 
everyone had their, well, most people had silver linings come out of uh, the pandemic, or at least tried to to make lemonade out of the lemons that that life gave us. And one of the great projects that that came out of this for you was your debut solo album, which is unbelievable to say. Twenty years after I first started seeing Rana and and, and you perform, uh, too too close to reason. Let, let's go back to the early days of the the pandemic. Uh, were you on the road when? Uh, live music shut down? I was just about to go on the road with J-Rad. We were just about to do a run in the Midwest. Um, and I mean, I had my bags packed and everything. And we had our first conference call as a band ever. We had never done a conference call before. And we all, we, we spent about half the call talking about how weird it was to be doing a conference call. <laughs> um, meta. And the other half, you know, we had to be, we, we, unfortunately, you know, we had to, we had to be really serious and, uh, you know, cause it was clear at that point, I can't remember exactly what the date was, but we were about to leave the next day to go to the Midwest to play a four night run there. And it was clear things were starting to get canceled at a, very fast rate all around us. And we had to make the call, like, what were we uh, going to do? And we figured uh, better safe than sorry. And, uh, you know, and I think that we even said then, I'm like, I'm sure that we can go back in three weeks and make it up. No problem. And, you know, we'll just do that or whatever. And here we are two years later and we're about to go back and make it up. Finally, the, the Madison, Wisconsin and St. Louis. Hopefully we didn't jinx that. Fingers crossed. Fingers, <laughs> yeah. fingers crossed. How how often did you then after that get have these conference calls or or meetings with 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 the guys in the band? Not many. That was okay. that was uh, just a matter of we were down to the final wire of like people were going to start leaving for the airport the next okay. morning, so it needed to happen. But there wasn't a whole lot of there was there was a lot of emailing that went on. But just like every other band, we were you know we went through the whole process of uh, everything being scheduled to the spring then rescheduled to the fall, then rescheduled to the following winter. And then eventually just like be like, fuck it. We'll just see where, you know, forget everything. And we'll just start over again in 2021. And you did actually play some shows a while before the, um, before the vaccine came. How, how was your experience at the, at the Westville Music Bowl? Um, it was it was great. You know, everything was a little surreal before the vaccines. And it's still, frankly, it's still surreal doing gigs. But, um, you know, when it was really, there were just so many question marks still about, is this safe? And, can we, you know, are we doing the right thing and all this stuff? It was, uh, it was a unique time to be doing gigs. Were there moments where you were able to put that out of your head and just fully immerse yourself in the music? Once it got going. Yeah, I think that we all had the same feeling of like, can we just please get on stage? You know, because you're there, you know, you're doing sound check all day. It's a long day when you're doing gigs uh, at a place like that. And I think that everybody sort of had the collective, like, can we just go and do what we've been doing for the last 20 years together? And can we just get it, get it going? And once you got it going and it got into the flow, it, it felt like riding a bike. You know, it's just like, oh, yeah, right. You're doing a gig, no big deal. And then you'd finish and then. Everybody has to put their masks back on and be and then you're back in reality. And then, especially on a multi-night run, to um, I'm sure you stayed pretty close to the venue and just did, did your best to hunker down. Yeah, I'll say I I, I'm, I think that we're all I think I could speak for everybody in the J Rad camp that uh, 
we were, we took every precaution that could be taken for an entire year and continue to. Uh, but we were really adamant about staying in our bubble and everybody testing every day, you know, uh, and we were able to pull off like 40 gigs last year, just under 40 gigs. Yeah. that's incredible and, and brought a lot of joy to people that that really needed it which was fantastic oh yeah it was amazing to see crowds you know uh just you could feel the pent-up anxiousness that everybody was dealing with that we as a country were dealing with for a full year and a half at that point and to see people you know to be able to help people kind of let loose and uh you know get their rocks off for a couple of hours uh, good feeling. We recently played Brooklyn Bowl, Philadelphia. Uh, what do you think of the, 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 the latest Brooklyn Bowl? Yeah, it was great. It was just like the one in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 very similar? I haven't yeah, been there yet. Yeah, very similar. Yeah, absolutely. Same vibe, same, you know, menu, everything. Great, uh, great, same sound. It sounded really, really great in there. It was a pleasure to be there. That would, that's the fourth one that I've played. I've done Vegas, Philly, Brooklyn, and I actually got over to London and did the London one. Right. When that was still a thing, I, I filled in with Antibalas over there for their grand opening. So now you got to make it to Nashville. That's right. And I think this year, I, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I believe so. Well, um, you, as I said, you um, put out an excellent album um too close to reason and i think it's fair to say it's a pandemic album correct 150 percent. i hate to be the guy that comes out of the pandemic being like oh it's really great i did this great you know i did this thing i feel like that's so annoying to hear but uh it really i wouldn't have had the time or you know to focus on the concept had it not been for the pandemic and when you first started realizing that you were going to be off the road for a while, you would have time to finally make your so- solo debut album. Did the co- was the concept always to record an instrumental acoustic guitar album? Well, there was no concept um, up until the pandemic, and then you know the long the long story short, I I bought myself a vintage acoustic guitar for the first time in my life during the pandemic, when I realized I was going to be stuck here for longer than two weeks. Um, I made two big purchases. I bought a, I bought an espresso machine and I bought an acoustic guitar and a Martin zero zero one eight, a triple O 18. Okay. Yeah. In 1955. Wow. Yeah. It was always, it's always been on my radar to have a nice vintage acoustic guitar, but, uh, I just 
hadn't uh, hadn't realized that dream yet until this. And this seemed like the absolute perfect uh, excuse or opportunity. And how quickly after you received this guitar, which I believe you purchased from a guitar shop in Nashville? Yes. Uh, Carter Vintage Guitars. Great shop. Great shop. Yeah. I mean, the, the vintage guitar market can be a little dicey, like a little bit like using uh, buying a used car or something. And Carter is uh, one of the best of the best. And... Um, yeah, the guitar that I actually saw on their website, they had just sold. Uh, but they, the, the gentleman that I talked to on the phone was super helpful in, in helping me find something uh, that I really just loved the description of and the sound of over the telephone. The guy played me some stuff over the phone. I said, Great, I'll take it. And when I got here, you know, the thing showed up perfectly in tune and... I just started all these melodies. Yeah, like you're saying, all these sort of song ideas just kind of started presenting themselves on this guitar very easily and uh, very seamlessly. How long of a period from when you got the guitar to when you booked time at Restoration Sound was there? Uh, It wasn't that long, just a couple of months. You know, I'd say I, I had the guitar for about three months and then I reached out to my buddy Lorenzo Wolf, who owns Restoration Sound here in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, booked a couple of days, not really knowing what I was doing, but I knew that I needed to do something. You know, I just wanted to feel that creativity of producing something again. Um, yeah, and I went in and put down a few songs and, and uh, basically what I figured would be demos of just some ideas and listen back to them. And I said, it doesn't sound so bad. Maybe that's, maybe that's a record. And was all the material written during the pandemic or was there any material, any of the songs predate? All of it. Okay. Yeah. All of it. Someone else, someone pointed out that it has like a really uplifting mood to it compared to maybe some of the, it's, it's a much softer, feeling record than anything that I'm probably associated with in the past. And I think my dime store psychology is that I was really sort of subconsciously writing melodies and stuff to kind of just cheer me up. Uh, God knows for all of us, it was a long, it's been a long two years, Uh, especially for musicians. It's, it was, it was like unthinkable, you know, to what was going on in terms of losing all of our work on top of everything. Uh, so it really is, when I step back and listen to it now, I'm like, oh, it's actually like a really happy, kind of joyful and maybe introspective sounding record, which makes perfect sense under the conditions that it was written. And it's not sleepy. I mean, I, I it was exciting to listen to. I mean, I was genuinely couldn't wait to see how, how the moods would shift and it's it's far from a uh spy album or or a you know uh, uh some solo acoustic albums have the tendency to be a little too calming i totally agree yeah i mean that was definitely on my radar too because i sort of i, I was I was very wary of not making, like you said, a spa music record. That's the last thing I ever want somebody thinking of when they think of Scott Metzger. 
Absolutely. Music. Were there any other goals that, that came to mind that, that you were thinking of when you did find, come to the concept of, uh, I'm going to make a solo album and it's going to be instrumental? Yeah, I mean, I think the staying away from the sleepiness uh, thing was the main thing. And it just makes something that kind of bends, bends your ear with some unexpected moments, whether that be harmonically or, or uh, dynamically just to make it an interesting listen for the, for the listener. And it's all you on the album, except for one track that you um, recorded with your wife, Katie Jacoby. Um, is it all acoustic guitar? Uh, is, is that all? I mean, like, for instance, there's this amazing bit of ambience at the beginning of the album on appropriate wattage. Is that all guitar? That's all guitar. So there's a good little story behind that in that uh, the, the title came from a conversation I had with Nels Klein, who is a friend and the guitarist in Wilco. We had a gig together. This is in December 2019, we had a gig. And we got on the phone because we wanted to make sure that we were bringing the right amps for, for, the, uh, for the gig to make sure one of us wasn't bringing some huge amp and the other didn't show up. And we decided, we were like, well, we got to make sure that we're bringing the appropriate wattage for this. And as soon as we said appropriate wattage, it's like, ah, that's a great term. That will be used somewhere. that down on my list of hundreds of song titles that I that I keep on my laptop. And the sound of the tune is made by a little gadget that's from the 70s called an Ebo. Aha. Uh-huh. Which it, it's made for guitar. I'm not sure if I can tell you a good example of it on record, but guitar players know what they are. And they're sort of they are meant to emulate the sound of a bowed instrument, like a violin or a cello or something. So it gives you infinite sustain by using this little gadget that has two magnets on it and the string is pulled between the strings. And it gives you a very, very pure sound, almost like the sound of a, you wet the side of a a wine glass and run your finger around it, a very pure tone that way. And it's just improvised two guitars on uh, using an Evo. That's, that's that sort of intro track. Are, are are most of the songs two tracks, rhythm and lead, or are there times you? Because it's got a very layered sound. Are there times that that you went with more than two guitars on a track? Yeah, uh, there's. I think there's at least two on most of the tracks. A few of them are just solo guitar pieces. Um, there's two or three tracks of me overdubbing on, on top of myself uh, on 90% of the record. 
And you have some shows coming up where you're going to be in in support of the album. Um, how are you going to recreate uh, some of those songs that have such layered sounds? I'm bringing a friend of mine uh-huh. um, named Simon Kafka. A showdown a- kid, fellow showdown yeah. kid. Yes, exactly. One of the, the third show, the other kid, the third showdown kid. Um, and yes, and so the show will be half the half the gig will be me and Simon playing new material off of the record, and the other half will be me playing solo, uh, either solo guitar pieces off of that are on Too Close to Reason, or just singing some of my favorite songs for people. Excellent. Um, I was at that famous Joe's Pub gig in 2018 which it seems it's almost like Woodstock it's like how there was only 100 people there how have thousands of people been at that show Um, but I I heard the interview you did with um, Across the Margin and um, I got to agree with uh, I believe Mike is the host uh, that uh, after that show I used what you played as a playlist Um, you know introduced me to some artists I wasn't familiar with and and songs that I had heard but wasn't that familiar with and um uh, I I love your your sensibility in that um style so I'm I'm glad to hear that there'll be some of those that will make the set list. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm I'm so good. This is actually that gig was 5 years ago, 5 or 6 years ago. That's nuts. Our talk here and the talk I had with Mike, it's actually the first time that I'm hearing about that people have like responded to that gig that way. I had no idea. So I really appreciate you saying so. That's nice. Mike is also a fellow uh, NYC freak um, and uh, Scott has played numerous freaks balls and gigs related to NYC freaks, which is a a mailing list for New York City live live music fans and how um, some of the ways that I was introduced to to Scott's music and what's the genesis for Joe Russo's Almost Dead was was for a freaks ball. That's true. Yes. And, and yeah. And really quickly too, the freaks, uh, the New York city freaks list has been amazing during the pandemic helping they've run a, um, you know, a campaign, a fundraising campaign to help New York city musicians during the pandemic. It's been unbelievable. The freaks action network. Want to give lots of love to Aaron Stein, a a jam based contributor. Um, He writes, the monthly recommends uh, for Jambase. Uh, definitely check that out uh, on Jambase. But in, he's an incredible guy with the talk about musical taste. I mean, he he's just uh, he's the the person you 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 want to go to for musical recommendations. Yeah. For anyone, he is the man. Um, and yes, and one of the freaks balls was the genesis of uh, J Rap. That is true. I, and I don't know how many people know the full backstory, actually, but the, Dean Ween was going to play that night and he was going to debut the Dean Ween band with, and it was going to be me, Joe, and Dave playing behind uh, Dean. And just about two weeks before he decided, the, the lineup had not been announced, and just a few weeks before he had decided he didn't have the material to uh, do the gig. So he backed out and I think that Aaron and Joe talked and Aaron was like, what about playing a set of dead music? 
uh, that same crew. We had a Tom in the mix, and here we are, what, coming up on 10 years later. This will be our ninth year. It's unbelievable. Yes. I mean, yeah. it's got to be surreal. It shows when you're like on the stage at Red Rocks with your buddies and knowing how this project formed uh, at moments, it's got to be surreal. What's what's happened with Joe um, almost dead. I mean, you know, we wrapped up 2021 with a gig at a hockey arena in Colorado at the first bank center. And I'm not kidding. During one of the tunes, I looked at Dave and I, you know, I was like, can you believe this shit? Like, this is un, <laughs> like, look at this. And we just say, you know, yeah, it's, you know, it is, it is very surreal. And, uh, it feels great to be carrying on. You know, it just feels so great to be playing the songbook that clearly means so much to so many people. You know, it's a real honor to be uh, you know, carrying carrying whatever torch we're carrying. Has there ever been any talk of having your individual projects open for J Rad? I don't think that anything is off the table with J Rad. You know. I don't know if it's specifically come up, but one never knows. Yeah, I I would just love for the people that go see a J-Rad show that aren't NYC freaks or aren't familiar with your uh, own material to be able to experience stuff like your solo sets or um, the, the showdown kids or Joe's Hawaii project or, you know, or, or Marco's trio. I just, I, uh, uh, I, I always wanted, I thought that would be an, a nice fit. So hopefully one day that, that will happen. Stranger things. That's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, we talked about a, a appropriate wattage and how the title came for that. And you mentioned that you have a list and I've always been fascinated by how musicians come up with titles for instrumentals. And uh, first, well, let's talk about the album itself. Um, how did Too Close to Reason come come as the title? I don't know. Uh, it's a very good question. It just sort of showed up one day. Again, I had a list of about 30 possible album titles that I had whittled down to about 10. And there were some really good ones on there that uh, I've kept around for the future. But I woke up one day and the, just the phrase too close to reason was in my head and I just couldn't get it out of my head. And I like how it's, I like how it rolls off the tongue. And I like that no one really knows what that means. <laughs> I thought about it as um, the, I like that, you know, there's that Bob Dylan record, Time Out of Mind. That's, you know, that's a desert album, I, uh, record, desert island album for me. But who knows? I don't know what that means. Sure. So it's going for something like that. And now let's talk um, about some of the tracks and, and those titles. Uh, damage. Why, where did that title come from? Well, the it's the the tune is just a lot of open voice triads that are placed in uh, tritones, which is very technical talk, but it's super high tension uh, sounding kind of thing. And to me, it just sounded like some serious damage was being done. <laughs> you know and then it actually and then it ends up in this sort of free uh section where it's just kind of noise and, uh... <laughs> 
yeah, it, it just sounded like, especially compared to other things on the record where everything feels so uh, upbeat and positive, this one really felt like damage. Sure. Asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just a term that we all hear all the time, right? Sure. I've always felt like it's like such a clever, it's such a clever little term. And I, I had a tune and it, just, it needed a name. Right. And did that come from your list? Was that on your your list that you were keeping, or? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And finally, only child. Only child. Uh, that was a gimme. I mean, I'm an only child, so I guess. Is Katie an only child? She is not. Okay. She has a younger sister. Um, but she played that melody so beautifully. That was on the list of, I, I wasn't sure if that was going to make the record or not, because it is so like, uh, it's pretty dramatic sounding to me. And I, I thought maybe it was overly sentimental or something. But it, as soon as I heard her play that melody, like that's too good to have on the X Factor. And it breaks up the album. Well, I like, I like how that, that works. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Bring in the wife, call in my, my world-class musician wife. <laughs> and for those unfamiliar with Katie, Katie Jacoby, um, has, is involved with an, a number of projects, um, but she also tours with The Who. And if you go see The Who and you see them play Baba O'Reilly, you'll see her steal the show at the end of, uh, of the, of that version. Um, and I, I take it you've had a chance to to see her perform with the Who. I have. I've seen the show uh, a number of times, uh, all over the country. Actually, I've seen it in Chicago and in New York, and out in California at the Hollywood Bowl. It, it, it never gets old. Excellent. And do you get on well with the band members and and their loved ones? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I was telling Mike, you know, I get seated with all the other wives, which is, you know, it's really great. It feels really, <laughs> feels really good to be like on the guest list end of seeing, seeing her play. Um, and Roger and Peter, you know, they, they have been most welcoming to me and have made it clear I better not mess it up with Katie. <laughs> you know, it's like a very old, like uncle kind of vibe going on with her, which is like protective uncles, and uh, man, just so cool. You know, it was so neat to they treated her so well, and, and and both of us, you know, when we got married, we probably dropped the line saying congratulations. And, you know, oh, that must have been that, what a chick, right? Yeah, just hearing from Roger Daltrey. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh, you were you were telling me, I think, uh, before we started the conversation, but you recently did get married to Katie. And uh, did, did it, it happen fairly spur of the moment? Kind of. I, I mean, you were engaged, but. Well, yes, we got it. Well, we got engaged just before the pandemic went down. So, you know, February. What a test. That's what I said. You know, it's like really put it to the test that. You know, we feel stronger than, than ever before. Fortunate, you know, we can make it through this, we can make it through anything. And, um, you know, we decided, she came up with the idea of where we should do it. We got married at the, the church from Kill Bill, the movie. And she came up with the idea, and, and I said, man, that would be amazing. I don't even know if they 
do that or if that church is even still there. And, you know, we did some quick research and uh, it turns out you can get married there. But the one catches is that the guy will only the owner will only book a wedding two weeks in advance because he has so many movie shoots come through and he doesn't uh-huh. miss out on that. So everything happened just very quickly once it happened, once we got into that two week window, we very quickly had to book flights and you know, we had a photographer sort of on hold and all this stuff. It's definitely not for everybody to, <laughs> to nail down all the moving parts of a wedding. Uh, it was a beautiful thing. How many people were there? <laughs> Literally five, including us. Wow. Yeah, it was us, the uh, photographer, the officiant, and the owner of the church. Do you think you'll celebrate otherwise uh, once things get back to normal? Or uh... yeah, I mean, TBD, we both, you know, knock on wood, things go smoothly this year. She's going to be touring with the Who right. part of the year, and I'll be, you know, J-Rad is busy, and then solo stuff and other little projects um you know we're gonna we're looking at a very busy year we'll see and and that's you know one of the things that i wanted to talk about what is uh 2022 gonna gonna hold for you um lots of j-rad yeah there's i mean there's a lot of j-rad dates um, coming out coming up and and yet to be announced i guess there's some um that's busy. And then there's a solo run that I'm doing. That we were talking about in March into April. And then there's some other stuff that's being worked out. More solo dates. Uh, Excellent. Really- People yeah. in other parts of the country besides the Northeast will get a chance to. Yes, exactly. exactly. I want to get out to the West Coast and even further up north than I'm going. Excellent. And, um, you know, right before the pandemic started, uh, I know you were on the road with Circles Around the Sun and, um, you know, you've uh, since parted ways with them. Um, But did did you enjoy that experience musically? Like, I couldn't have enjoyed it more. Honestly, I got to say, we did a 10 night run um, just before the pandemic. February of 2020, we did 10 nights straight. And I hadn't done 10 nights straight in a long time. And I was was like, man, I'm going to be banged up at the end of that. And we got to the end of that 10 nights and it was so fulfilling and so special, like on every level, uh, we all agreed we were ready to do another 10. And musically, I thought it was, I'm very proud of what we all did together. Excellent. And still friendly with those guys, keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it was, you know, scheduling stuff and just pandemic stuff. Just, you know, I think that if it wasn't for the pandemic, we'd, we'd be able to uh, keep rolling. But I think that this was the best for everyone involved. Best way to do it. And you know, our feelings, and I wish this was nothing but the best. And I think they're sounding awesome. Excellent. Yeah, I, I agree. And, uh, Glad that it worked out in the end. And I can only imagine with them playing so many shows in California and to be in the middle of the pandemic to have to do all the cross-country traveling was not at the uh, top of, of your list. Uh, so it certainly could could understand. 
Um, getting back to to, clo- to close for a reason. Um, another question about that: Did you record um, any songs that didn't make the final cut? Trying to think, I don't think so. I don't think that anything got recorded that didn't make it. But I have, I when I first demoed out the material, I think I have about twenty five more uh, wow. tunes that I had written because like, I think that I came. I think there's twelve on the record. And I think that I had written just about 40 altogether. In just a couple of months, stuff was just, it was like a faucet, like these songs were just coming. coming, coming. Um, so yeah, so there's a lot of demos that never made it to a thing, but who knows, maybe those will get reported on the next record, which would be, which I'm planning to do with a band. Wait, wait, what did you say? You're, you're planning to? Maybe some of those that didn't make this record will make the, the next record, which I'm definitely planning on doing with a band. Okay. Bass and drums accompaniment. Excellent. And how did you decide on, um, once you, did you decide on putting it out through Royal Potato Family while it was a concept, while you were making it, or is that something you dealt with after the album was recorded? Well, I, I recorded the album not really knowing what I was going to do with it. I didn't know if it would ever see the light of day. Like I'm saying, it was just kind of more of a thing to keep me busy and creatively keep some uh, skin in the game. But when I got it, when I got through with about half of it and started listening to it, I said, this is actually, you know, this is something that I'm really proud of and I would be down for people to hear this. Uh, and reached out to Kevin Calibro at Royal Potato. and. Um, and he wrote back immediately. He said, you know, this stuff sounds great. I love it. I just need more. Because I had only recorded about half of what ends up on the record. Okay. And he said, you know, I just need more. I think I sent him about 25 minutes worth of music or so. And the album ends up becoming uh, almost double that. So I used some of these other demos that I recorded. You know, Cherry picked a few of those and went in. And they're the actual, they were intended as demos and recorded at Restoration and made the album. Yeah. I mean, really, like none of these, none of these records were ever intent. I never made the, any of this stuff intending it, thinking like this will be my first solo debut album for the world to, to be unveiled to the world or anything as dramatic as that. This literally was a guy just trying to get through the next week. <laughs> in the pandemic and trying to keep it positive and trying to stay, trying to just keep doing what I love doing for the last 20 years, which is just playing some guitar. And the result is excellent. And too close to reason, uh, while it's not out while we're recording this, it will be out by the time you are hearing this podcast. So be sure to pick it up wherever you get great music. And Scott, thank you so much for, for joining us once again on the Jam Bass Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Always a
we've reached the end of this episode of the Jam Base Podcast. Thanks so much to Scott Metzger for coming back to the show. Metzger's Too Close to Reason is available now wherever you pick up good music. Head to jambase.com for a full list of dates from Scott Metzger in support of the album. Much love to Jake Alexander for producing this episode, which, like all installments of the Jam Base podcast, features music from his clanging and banging duo. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to get your votes in for March Madness and go see live music. <laughs> <laughs>